Morning. How are you? Good. Um, if you are new, I just want to say uh, welcome, and if I get a chance to meet you, I'd love to. Uh, after service, uh, I'll be around, so come grab me. Um, but just would like to kind of, if you have any questions about anything, about what our church is about, where we're going, what we're doing, um, we'd love to kind of get to know you and connect with you. Uh, it, also, if you're jumping in and you haven't been here, uh, uh, maybe a few parts of our series, each individual message, even though it's part of a greater series, uh, is, is you can grab right from that this sermon today, um, and you haven't missed anything along in this step other than the main theme. The main theme of this series, when we decided to get into it, was looking at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read a lot of very interesting stories. We hear, see a lot of interesting figures, and then we start to see um, some prophecies which would be pointing to something coming. And, and we titled it Threads of Redemption because we thought, why don't we take our church through that journey? We're, we're all looking to Christmas, and we're all looking for this moment that the world changed, and where God brought salvation, redemption, and, and even, dare I say, justice into this world in an unjust world. But the themes and the narratives are all pointing somewhere. Jesus was on his walk back, that famous walk from Emmaus, and the people were asking these questions of, of like, uh, uh, what had happened in Jerusalem, and we can't believe what had happened, and, and this figure comes along, which is Jesus, resurrected, and begins to, the Bible says, open up their eyes to what the, the, their writings and the teachings have all been pointing to to this moment. And I think that's what we're trying to do a bit in our series for uh, Threads of Redemption. I, I, I don't know about you, I, I, if anybody's like this, I love, love, love history. And history is fascinating. There is a tremendous amount of lessons we can learn from history. But as you survey history, uh, humanity has gone through a tremendous amount of heartache. Uh, when you look at some of the brutal empires and the ways that people have had to live and the crushing of souls uh, of very people and destroying of their culture uh, over time, over time, over time, humanity has uh, seen its share of suffering and pain. And I think that loss and hopelessness was a part of that. Turmoil and trauma is a part of that. But all throughout this journey of history, at one point, some writers begin to allude that something greater is coming, that there's more to life than man's structures, than a fallen people ruling people. Something new was going to happen. One of the writers of the Old Testament, it's a prophet, he, he, he says it like this in this beautiful analogy, where he says, it's like a small spring is going to rise in a desert, and soon it will flow into a mighty river. And it will transform the landscape of the desert. And I think that that's that pairing of like humanity has been in such a desert, such a difficult place, that all of a sudden we will experience life, true life, and a transformed humanity. And God was ultimately, in our, in our whole journey of our series, ultimately preparing the people that there's going to be a dawn, a new dawn for mankind that will change the very existence of the world. 
all these prophets, all these figures, everybody we read about, and we think, oh, that's a really cute story, that story about uh, the Israelites coming across the desert. That's a really, really neat story. I like to tell my kids about Jonah and Jonah and the whale, or, or, or telling about like King David, but all of them are pointing through this funnel to a moment that alludes to what heaven is doing, that heaven is coming down. And heaven began to change the world. So today we're going to hear a very, very tough conversation. It's one of my favorite conversations. The more I have read it, as a kid growing up, I never wanted to read this book of the Bible because I couldn't even pronounce who the writer was, you know? And so it's like, that's the weirdest name. I don't want to tell people like, well, in Habakkuk 1, you know, that just sounded weird. So, but this great dialogue between this prophet who is in a place where he is struggling in his faith. I love these real moments of the Bible. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we can get these snapshots of great moments, but sometimes we can lose the humanity. And he offers us an insight into a dialogue with God that I think is very real to a lot of people in this room, and you've probably had these conversations with God. But ultimately, he's asking for justice. When are we going to see justice, God? I'll give you just a snapshot in a minute about the life he was living in. We cannot relate. But this person is struggling with seeing, where are you, God, in all of this? I would say that when we read the Bible, we can't then just say, well, then don't complain, you Westerner, you, you know, thousands of years later, and, and you've got TVs and iPhones and, and life and structure. And so, we, don't complain. It's, the struggle with whether God will be there for you or not is the same. The struggle in times when it's hard and it feels like the world is crashing down on you is the same, and we will ask the same questions. So please do not remove yourself or belittle your feelings or circumstances based on how great this person's struggle is. I don't think that does anybody any good. But we see the, the need for the revelation of Jesus in this dialogue. If you have ever wondered, where is justice, God? Don't you know what they've done to me? How could you allow that to happen to me? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and he or she didn't change. I wanted so badly this to happen in, in, in the, a person who, who, who even hates you, God, is now living the life that I wanted to live. If you ever wondered that in the world or wondered what God is going to do or even if you can do anything about injustice, I think this is a good message for you. I know for me in, in writing and reading, it, it was really good a reminder that I have a few things about how I view justice and injustice uh, a little off, and I needed to be recentered again, and I hope that that can be a little bit for some of us in here. When I read the book of Habakkuk, when you read it, it's it, 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 it's, it gives you a slight bit of context. Some of your uh, study Bibles will tell you a little bit of what's happening at the time and what they're experiencing. But when you read it, <laughs> I, I, this is probably the, I know the, the writer would hate it that I say this, but it reads like a, a, a really interesting text thread. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, I, I love a good text thread. I don't know about you, but I love a good text thread. I only love a good text thread for one reason, so I can prove that you were wrong when I told you to do something. I love the history. I love it documented. My, 
My kids have paid a severe price because I, they will tell me that I never told them to do something. I'll be like, well, here, April 4th at 4 p.m., I told you to do it. And you replied, yes, see that? You're in the blue. Like, so we have this dialogue that's happening, and it's this back and forth and back and forth in a negotiation. But eventually, I have the proof. I have uh, the case. And so I think what's happening in Habakkuk, it feels like it when you read it. You don't see it a lot in Scripture where it's a, re- response, it's, it's, a, it's a call out and it's a reply and it's a response to that reply and it's a response to that reply and it's back and forth. It's such a great book. I'll just give you the time frame of when this happens. It happens around 630 B.C. This is a tough time for Israel. They are past the days of their great king. They were a people, and now their people have become corrupt over time. Like, like, it, like any great leadership, over time, you know, the initial vision begins to wane through the generations that, that follow. But they're finding themselves in such a place that they, they never thought they'd be there. And God surely never thought they would be there, I don't think. But this prophet is having this conversation. He starts it very much like this, where Israel is, is, is in a point in history in where something really bad has just happened and something even worse is coming. And they're in this middle point when it's happening. And here's what Habakkuk says. This is how he starts his prayer to God. And I don't know if you've started in this way. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? I have felt this a few times in my life where it's like, how long do I need to cry out for help? How long does it feel like my, 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 my words are falling on your ears and, uh, 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 that are nothing? Will you not hear? Oh, I cry to you, violence, and you will not save. God... Everything that you've called us to live for, everything you, how you've called us to treat people, everything that you've championed us to live, to be a, a light into the world, none of it is happening, is what he's saying. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why, God, am I have to walk around and I see this over here and I see that over there and I see an injustice over there? Why? Do you idly look at wrong, God? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed. There's, 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 no, there's no act of justice anymore. It's just whatever who is in power and whatever whim they have. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, things happening behind the scenes. His peers, Jeremiah being one of them, meets his fate. In this way, his people who he's done ministry with to lead the people are dying. Anybody who rises up is being cut down. And so the law is paralyzed. He said, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And, and I would say that where we are in our life, maybe we fully can't relate to that, but maybe if you bring it down just to your personal life, you can feel like this. You can wonder, where are you, God? It feels like the, the, the wicked triumph. 
but I'm, I'm trying to be good. It feels like when I'm going forward and trying to, to, to make things right with this person, they have a case against me and everybody around them believes them. How can this be happening? I'm doing what you asked me to do. And it, this is a very interesting lament is what you call this in the Bible. And a lament is, is his grievance, his mourning, his, his expression of pain towards what's happening. He's having a great lament here. But it's not like the other writings in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it stands out alone. Because no one who's writing out their lament that you read will begin this way, which is this. God, I'm even questioning if you are a just God. No one does that. Habakkuk is doing this. He's questioning God, whether God really is just. Because how can a just God, and I've heard this question a lot in our modern time, how can a just God allow that to happen? But what he had seen is he'd seen these, this, this very first superpower in the world that was conquering many nations called Assyria, and he'd seen them dominate people. You know, we don't live in this world when someone is overtaken. We read it in like the story of Napoleon where they would put him off on an island and try to take care of him. You know what I mean? This is not how it was then. What had happened is when Assyria came in, and if you rose against them and you were in any kind of place of power, like him or his peers, what they would do is to make an example out of you, and, and this has happened and documented all throughout history, outside of the Bible, is that they would take that person, and they would remove their ears, and they would remove their eyes, and they would remove their nose, and they would remove their tongue, and they would remove their hands, and then let them free into the city so everyone could see this is what happens when you speak up against this power. And everyone was reminded every day of how powerless they were. Now, this is a practice that continued on for another great empire down the road that was going to actually liberate Israel, which is very weird. But they were cruel and they were dominant. And they destroyed anyone in their way. And not only that, they had installed from Israel's own people a puppet king who only allowed these things to happen. And at this time, it was one of those people, and I don't know, we can maybe relate to a little bit, where they said one thing and they did another. I don't know if that's what happens, but they said one thing and they do another only to get personal gain. And so they looked their eye another way when an injustice would happen and people would cry out, but they were crying out to the wrong person. And so... Habakkuk feels himself this way as well. He's asking, where was the God of Moses? Are you not strong anymore? Where is the God of Jacob? Can you not conquer for us anymore? Where is the God of Samson? Can you not deliver us? Where is the God, ultimately, of David who would rule justly? Where are you? I cannot find you. It, this, this is a tough place. But I think a lot of times we want to pretend that we don't feel these feelings, but we do. We do wonder these feelings in really hard moments in our life. Really, what it, what, it, what it means is our world is crumbling, and all we see is a crater happening. That's a place that Habakkuk is in. This is a place of humanity, that humanity finds themselves in, not just spiritually, but in times physically, mentally, emotionally. My life is cratering. And what Habakkuk is revealing to us about Jesus is that we need 
a savior, but not the kind that he thinks he needs. We need the kind that will liberate people from the inside out and then help make a movement. Christian communities all around the world are asking the same questions. They have the same laments as Habakkuk. I think it's always my responsibility as a pastor to continually bring forward what happens around the world in Christianity. I think that it's easy to get caught up in the bubble, and we can forget, but we should never forget that this is happening all over the world right now. Check, can you put this map up really quick? These are 32 countries right now that are currently in armed conflicts. All of these countries have believers in them. All of those, we don't know what this feels like. And, and, and I know that. All of them are in a place where it's like, they're Christians, they're worried, they don't know what's going to happen to them. It's concerning all around the world right now. Look at this map right here. These are conflicts. This is uh, of current high level to medium levels of persecution happening all over the world to the extreme levels of persecution happening. Christianity and people who read Habakkuk who are living in that context probably read it very differently than we would. They're experiencing very, very strong difficulty their costs are great. It put up this next little tick on the bottom here. Just even what they can document right now, what is happening in the world. And I think Habakkuk very much is feeling the same way that they would. Is that just right now, 5,621 Christians have already been murdered this year. Brutally murdered just for their faith. This is sad. Uh, Christians attacked and churches burned or, or, or completely obliterated. Is over 2,000 of them. And then sadly, really, ultimately, there's so many others who are detained. These numbers do not reflect the actual real numbers. If you want to pray for a country that needs prayer right now, it would be Nigeria. Because 90% of those uh, murders are, there, are from Nigeria. They need prayer. They need our help. They need our, our thoughts, our prayers. Um, they, they need what Habakkuk is. We need to cry out like Habakkuk is for his people. The costs are great. And so I think when we can read Habakkuk, we would go, yeah, but uh, yeah, that was then, this is now. No, that, that is now, now, all over. And our, our brothers and sisters around the world are, are also in need of that. But it, uh, what I want to make sure I'm doing is not putting on such a big pedestal the problems that are going on in the world, which are great, and we should never let them off of our hearts. But also, don't dismiss yourself in your own world, in what you're going through, and what you're experiencing, and, and say, well, then I'm not worthy to call out to God or be frustrated. You are. Your life is, is just as important. What you're going through may not be as extreme as life-threatening, but it has been damaging to you nonetheless. It feels like, in some cases, wolves are coming from all corners of your life. And so we can all relate to these questions Habakkuk is asking, who do I look to, right? And, and, and what do I do when injustice happens? I think we can probably answer that a little bit today. You know, growing up as a kid uh, of the 80s, any 80s kids in here? Okay, I grew up, I was born in the 70s, but a bicentennial baby, just want to let you know, very special kid. And so anyways, I... Uh, uh, it was uh, a time of growing up where these, these action heroes started kind of coming up, Do, if, if you remember this. They've had a resurgence lately, but, but as a kid growing up, you'd see guys who were these, put these guys up on the screen. These were two of, of my heroes. If you don't know who they are, then I'm sorry, I can't help you. You've got to get cultured, okay? This is our history. So 
This guy right here was one of my, I just loved watching John Rambo. Because what happened was, and I love it, if you read the little tagline, they sent him on a mission and they sent him to fail, but they made one mistake. They forgot that they were dealing with Rambo. Now that (laughs) is a movie tagline. Wow. Justice. As a kid, I think uh, I was telling my mom when I was talking to her on the way over that this shaped my view of justice, and ultimately it wasn't justice or injustice, it was revenge. This shaped my view, retribution. Usually when John Rambo would go in and and try to right a wrong, it was a hundred times fold of what he would end up destroying, right? So we think in these terms, unfortunately. As a kid, I didn't know any other way, and Dirty Harry was like, I will handle the problems myself. I am a vigilante, right? His famous tagline, right? You know it. And it's like, it's like one of these things of like, how are we thinking about justice and injustice? Because sometimes when we encounter things ourselves, we want to take matters into our own hands in a way of retribution or, or, or revenge. That is not justice to God. We'll read a few passages later about how God views our, our, our role when it comes to revenge and justice. But there is a place that we play in the world when it comes to bringing justice to the unjust. We have a role to play, and we, we can't miss out on it. It, it. There might be something better than the model of John Rambo or Dirty Harry. There might be something greater. And Jesus led away, and why everything points from Habakkuk's cry out to God, and God is telling him something in this dialogue that points to something that's going to matter and going to matter and will change the world. Because if we keep doing what what I think God is trying to stress to him, you cannot keep going sword against sword. If you live by it, Jesus said to Peter in in the garden, you will die by this sword. There is another way. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for just just the uh, love and mercy and care you have for this world and, and, and why you sent Christ into this world is love to bring justice to our sins and to your people for restoration. We love you and we thank you. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas, this is one of the things we celebrate, that you are God who pointed our eyes to the problems of injustice and you have given us Uh, uh, values to walk by in a figure that we look to in Jesus to live out and be a people of just living and care for the those who are experiencing injustice. Amen. I titled this message, Making All Things New. Now, this is going to be really annoying because making all things new, this would be what Habakkuk is crying out for and God is pointing to Jesus And you as a Christian now might call out and say, God, when is the world going to get better? When are all those things, those colored out uh, 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 countries, when will they no longer be in conflict? And I'm going to point you to Revelation 21, which is very frustrating because God was pointing him to Jesus. And I'm going to have to try to point us to Revelation 21 because right now we have Christ. We have salvation. We have life. We have what was promised to Habakkuk. But when I read Revelation 21, I just wonder, why wait, God? You ever do that? Where you're like, why not now? Let's just get this done. Why any more tears? Why any more pain? And I can't answer that question. And I don't think scripture really answers that question other than trusting God's ultimate good plan. But now would be a good time, God. 
Let me read Revelation 21, and this is a voice coming and saying, establishing the truth of what's happening in the world when, it, when we look to the end. And I think this is gracious of God to give us those who wonder and worry and fear, will this world ever be better? Will we ever see the justice of God in this world? And he gives us a snapshot, not the full picture of what it will look like. He says, and God himself will be there with uh, uh, them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. The death and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. I put that in there and left it in the section because God is saying, Put this down so my people know, and they'll, they'll have this promise like Habakkuk had, and the people there after him could read, because God told him Habakkuk to do the same. Write it down so that people can have this, because my word is true, and it's sure. Now, when I read it, I, in, in reflection, I have to remember that God is God, and his plans are his plans. I don't know when God is, when this moment of Revelation 21 will happen, but we know that this is where we're going. And there's a process of which we get to play in all of this from Jesus coming to us. This is what Habakkuk was waiting for. This is what he was hoping for. He was hoping for this moment, but he is, uh, unfortunately, he's never going to see that moment. And actually, he's never going to see God actually bring deliverance to Israel. His life will pass before it happens. It's, it's tough to swallow, but it's, it's, it's ultimately in God's pathway and his plan as Habakkuk is making these cries out to God. And from the time this dialogue happens between Habakkuk and God, things get dramatically much worse. So God replies to his cry out, and I'll summarize what God says very briefly. He just says, basically, this Babylonian empire is rising in power because the Assyrian empire is faltering, your current dominating factor in the region. But this new empire is going to free you from the Assyrians, and then crush you even more. Who would want to hear that in their prayer? Anybody? Hey, things are tough, uh, and, and you're going you're gonna to be free from them, but then what's coming is going to be 10 times worse. We don't want that. We do not want that from God, but he ultimately tells him that. And then Habakkuk replies in his text thread in verse one, or sorry, chapter 113, you who are... Now, listen, Habakkuk is a little passive aggressive here. I got to just tell you right now. I wouldn't do this with God. You who are pure of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the men more righteous than he? Ooh! He's pointing out God's character. He's pointing out God. He's saying, you, here's your character. Why do you even do that, God? He's bold. And then he's, at the end of it, he states, he says, and guess what? I'm going to wait up at this tower. And we can read it two different ways. I think how I, how I see it in the thread is he says, I'm going to wait up here and I'm going to look out and I'm going to wait for your reply. I can see it, him saying essentially like in a text thread, and I'll wait for your reply. And I'll be waiting, dot, 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 dot. 
God's reply to Habakkuk is in chapter 2, 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. And if there's one piece of advice in this entire sermon, it's God's reply to Habakkuk. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will not lie. God will complete it. It will surely come, he says. It will not delay. Its timing will always be right. You have to be patient and you have to wait. Everybody in here is very impatient. I know you're twitching right now and I know you're struggling. You're like, no, 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 no. We got to get things going. We got to get the person, people who do that. You will have to realize this too, is that when God's doing something and he's working out something and he may not reply to you right away, just wait. It will come. It's slow. I don't know what it looks like when his response to you comes, but it will surely come. Behold, his soul is puffed up and is not upright, God continues to say, within him. Meaning that the, the person and the condition of the people are not there, and maybe even you too are not there. But listen to what he says, and Paul quotes this as well when it comes to how we view Christ. He says, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so I love this because he's saying, whatever you see right now, Habakkuk, around you, and I hear your complaints, and I hear it, and you're not going to see happen what you're crying out for, but generations from now will, and eventually everyone will experience what's coming, but now is not now for you. It will be happening later. But the righteous live by faith. It's interesting because this is like this strong statement Paul uses from this moment that the righteous are going to live by faith. Faith in Jesus is what we have from Paul. He links us right to Jesus. What This call here is, was brought generations later that Paul resurrects in the person of Jesus. Righteous live by faith. And why Paul was writing that is he's writing to people who are under pressure like Habakkuk, and they're struggling. And the hope Habakkuk couldn't quite see, he could only see it generations, these people possessed in Jesus. That's the hope we have, is that it's no longer what's just around us, not that we should just dismiss everything around us, or that God does, but God gave you something much, much, much greater to hold on to hope in the most difficult circumstances. Habakkuk then replies in 3.17, and I love this because this becomes the reply of the person who's submissive to God's plan when they are really struggling. I picture him saying these things with gritted teeth and maybe a little bit white knuckling. It'd be very hard to say these things. He says, though the fig tree shall not bloom, nor fruit beyond vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields have no food, and the flocks cut off the fold. There will be no herd in the stalls yet. I don't think those first sentences were great for him to say. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though all of these things are going to happen and are happening now, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will take joy in God, the God of my salvation. This is a really important verse right here. He says, God, the Lord is my strength 
And I think that that's what happens, and that's what our call out is, and that's what our hanging on is too, is in the midst of not seeing the salvation you see in your circumstantial moment, call out to the God who is your strength to endure. I never want to, I don't believe God would ever want me to teach to just lay down and just let everybody use you as a doormat. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is sometimes in waiting, when we don't see the call out and the cry out in the middle of suffering and difficulty, that sometimes we just say, okay, God, I, will, I, need, I need you to be the God of my strength right now to endure. Paul over and over is calling them, other writers of, of the New Testament are calling them to ask and call upon for strength to endure what is uh, facing them. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. I love that. I don't think he's saying it delusionally, especially for how raw and honest he is with God. I don't think he's going to just then turn face and then be some weird delusional person doing some mental gymnastics here. He is reassuring himself of who God is and, and who he is in, Christ, in God. And we do that in Christ all the time, no matter what your experience. This is living by faith, and it points the need in this dialogue of that a righteous person will live by faith, and I will hang on and give me the strength to do it until that day. And, he, and why he wrote it and sent it out to all of the people, and they ran it all over the nation of Israel and to the tribes, is because one day it's coming. And then we have that in Jesus. You know, and ultimately with Jesus, we can't just sit back and go, well, Whatever happens, at least I'm going to heaven. I, that's, not, that's a disassociation I don't think God wants to have happen. Or why are we here? And why did Jesus come? But there is this security that we can all lean back in, that we know that we are the temple of, uh, of God. We have the Spirit with us, and we are living as sanctified people who are righteous before God, and God is on our side, and the Bible says that He will never leave you or forsake you. So take courage. So we have all of that, but also we are living in this world too where our eyes see and our faith has to get ahead of that. And so Jesus knows how to live in an unjust world. He experienced injustice in an unbelievable way. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus, he was, he, to Jesus, ultimately justice is this. Justice is first and foremost divine salvation to bring justice to the captive to bring freedom for those who were imprisoned by sin. This is the biggest act of justice that Jesus does for those who were God's people bound by sin, who he brought freedom to. So you have already experienced, whether you know it or not, the very justice of Jesus. But, or and, in the natural way, when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus being just to the unjust where people are experiencing injustice in a beautiful way, of which Jesus is our chief model. In body, mind, and heart, he is bringing healing. So the other part is our salvation, right standing before God, confidence before God, come boldly before the throne. The other part of how we live out our life is looking at Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He brought healing. He brought healing to relationships, he brought healing physically to people. He humanized the outcast. This is justice. Brought justice to them. 
He healed the broken people. He elevated the oppressed. That's justice. And then he tried, tried to bring uh, justice to, in a way of love, to his oppressors, them themselves, meaning trying to save them. Whenever I read about Jesus fighting with the Pharisees, it's so easy to just go like, yeah, those religious people. I've heard people in church, I, somebody called me a Pharisee once, and I was like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> like it's just this way that we say those, those people. Jesus did not think of them as those people. He was seeing people who were oppressing people, loved them enough to tell them the truth. And they, whether they listened or not, a few did. Actually, many did post his resurrection. And ultimately, Paul, one of his, the disciples uh, of being a, a, a great Pharisee, did. But Jesus loved his, these people, which we would say are enemies so much. What he wanted was their salvation and freedom from those oppressive thoughts and oppressive ways to lay down that power. But it's kind of one of those things that Christians sometimes don't want to hear. Wait, wait, no, 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 wait, okay. So by... By, by bringing justice to injustice, I bring healing, which is like kindness and love, these fruits of the Spirit. Like, have you ever heard something that you didn't want to hear? Some advice? And you're just like, nah, if I could plug my ears, I'd do it right now. I do not want to. La, 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 la. Like, <laughs> with my kids, it's that way when, they, when, when we're sitting down and you're parenting teenagers and you're just like, let me tell you about this. And they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? The truth can be really hard to hear sometimes. And I feel like sometimes when I hear this, I'm just like, especially with Rambo in my background, and I'm like, that's how you do injustice by loving people? No. Bring out the M16 and let's get to work, right? You know what I mean? Like you think this way. I'm still working on it. A guy the other day, I, I, just, I just hated that I did this. I was pulling over and a guy who was asking for money and he's always taunted people on the side of the road. I know this guy. And he looked at me and he pointed at my head and, and acted like, what are you, dumb? You know what I mean? He started doing this to me because I pulled up and I didn't roll my window down. I rolled my window down. I was not giving him money. I was giving him a piece of my mind. And I was like, no, 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 no. don't do this. Don't do this. I wanted him to know, you can't treat me like that. That's just not how we roll in the in Christian community. I share that out of my own life. I want you to know I am no perfect saint here, but I want you to know that it's like we all struggle with these things. We think of revenge or we think of setting things right our way, but God is saying like you did to Habakkuk, trust me, you're going to have to. Even though the flocks are nowhere to be found in the pen, even though the fruit, look around, is not growing, you're going to have to trust me and find your strength in me in those moments. Jesus, he knew injustice so well, yet his primary focus was so much more. Let me read this little snippet, and you, you know this well. We'll get to this at Easter. Luke 23, uh, uh, verse 39, and one of the criminals who had uh, hanged, uh, uh, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Like, dude, if you're him, I'm in pain. Get me down. Save yourself and us. And the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of, condemn, uh, of condemnation? We are indeed uh, justly for what we receive, the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me. I think this is his moment of calling Jesus who he is. 
Because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you that today you will be with me in paradise. Even to the very moment, while he's been treated the most unjust that you've seen a person be treated. Wrongfully convicted, nailed to the cross, abused, spit at, and mocked. And in that very last moment, of even in his injustice, he is looking for the justice of the other. I love that. Uh, piece of scripture. He didn't dismiss injustice though, but what he did is he empowered his people to face it and he instructed them how not to repeat it. Retaliation always brings about greater, I think, injustice. We see it all the time. But Jesus taught us how to not repeat it. Listen to this, and I'll read this and we'll get ready to close. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus is teaching, and it's this Beatitudes you know very well. But listen to how he's instructing people how to think. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some probably heard that and like, yeah, yeah, you poor, you poor, we're poor. Okay, we're poor. Great, we get to be a part of this kingdom. That's not what this means. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit their... These are contrary of the world's systems that get us in places of power. These are very different. He said, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you don't have time to get caught up in the world's games that pay world's dividends. It says, for they shall be satisfied. And we know the appetite of the world never is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He's teaching them how to think, what it means to be blessed and to be a blessing. And he he goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes for the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say blessed are those who get themselves a couple swords and go to war. He didn't say blessed are those who will never experience the pain of persecution. He says blessed are those who experience it for my sake. And I'll go on to say in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets before you. And I think a lot of Christians can read this and go, I guess this is just our lot in life. We just go around and people kick us around and we're just like, oh, don't do that. Like, this is not what he's talking about. He's saying that how believers live is a very different mindset. But we've seen throughout history, the more believers who begin to live in this mindset bring a lot of justice to the world. Things begin to change. Your family begins to change when you practice the fruits of the Spirit. It will not begin to change when we work off of the things that were the dynamics that destroyed your family. They begin to change when we begin to walk like Jesus walked. So not only did he bring justice to humanity and our salvation, he showed you how to walk to be someone who brings justice. I'll, rem- I'll have you remember this, that followers of Jesus, what do they look like? They heal. They heal whatever they can heal. They bring life to whatever they can bring life to. They are not looking for retribution. They are looking to heal. That's justice in the kingdom. Retribution is for God. And justice is for him when it comes to the, the, the sins of this world or things that have been committed because he's a perfect judge. 
Listen, you want to know why you can't be the perfect judge? Because have you ever seen yourself when you wake up in the morning? It depends on what happened that day. It depends on what's going on. I ha- I'm not kidding you. I have woken up one day and I'm just like, nobody talked to me. And if anybody does, judgment upon you. Like, it, 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 I'm not right for it. You're not right for it. But God is the perfect judge. He will handle things. But he's asked you to walk like Jesus. And that looks different than what your whims or your emotions or what you'd feel. Hebrews 10.30 said this, reminds us again, and it's quoting the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, says God, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. And by the way, it's a very fearful thing, he says, to fall into the hands of the living God, meaning that God is the right judge and he will judge justly. And we don't want to be in that judgment. Romans 12, 9, don't take revenge, Paul is telling people, because they want to take revenge. I don't want to be abused anymore by by society. I don't want to be oppressed anymore by society. And he says, do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay it, says the Lord. I like what Martin Luther King did. He was great at his leadership of what it meant to look like people and empowering people to walk and make change. And this is a core, peop- a core be- belief of believers here doing this through principles of Scripture that needed to be re-read and reinterpreted to change culture. It was important because there were many people who were justifying what they were doing through Scripture and they've done it all throughout history. So don't just think it's America. But Martin Luther King did a beautiful thing. He wanted peaceful awareness that people are created equally, that God loves people the same. There is no difference to God. So therefore, as God's people, we shouldn't carry that difference. And that we're to be people of justice. I was speaking with a guy, and when we were walking on a little march, uh, just together, just to bless some neighborhoods, and he actually tried out for Martin Luther's, uh, Luther King's uh, marching team in L.A., and he went out, and he started with the march, and it was a peaceful protest, and a guy had thrown something at him, and he went into the crowd to beat him up, and they said, you can't march with us. And he's like, well, that guy threw something at me, and he's like, you can't march with us. You can march with us when you can take that, and you can continue to walk, because it's more important than your retribution. Oh, I was so happy he told me the story. I need to work on that. I need to be more like that guy. And he went around and did it, and it made great change. We're people of justice, right? Like our Father. But we walk like Jesus. And we have to always remember that. How did he bring justice? How did he, uh, to, to injustice? Healing. Healing. That's how you will do it. You begin first and foremost in your family before you start pointing the finger anywhere else to try to change things everywhere else. You f- begin first and foremost with yourself, your family, your friends, and you begin to work out and you can be a part of even greater and bigger things. Remember, like Habakkuk needed to know, like Jesus' disciples needed to know, and like every believer since, that God is making all things new. That's why we read Revelation 21 and we remember it's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to come. But we're a part of that process to walk like Jesus so that God is transforming this world for his kingdom one person at a time, one nation at a time. And eventually, Revelation 21 will happen. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that you have put people like Habakkuk in a real honest dialogue with you so we can learn and grow. But not only that, that point to a greater moment. 
And God, as we're anticipating the celebration of Jesus' arrival, God, I ask that even more deeply through every one of these sermons that we are reminded about why we need Jesus in this world, why we need light in darkness, why we as a people look different, act different, sound different, talk different, God. We are different than what the world expects, God, but we are nonetheless your people. And God, like Habakkuk, some of us might just say, even though I don't see anything around me flourishing, God, and I've been calling out to you, I will call on your strength because to endure it. But I'm never going to forget that I will wait, I will be patient, and I will look for change and healing. And God, if possible in any way, let me be a part of that. I promise you, God, I will be a person of peace as you were Jesus. And so we love you and we thank you. Help us be the church, God, that you want for us. Help us be the church that models who you were, Jesus. Help us be the church that trusts when we don't see because we know. We know our God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.